Could we please turn to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Acts of the Apostles, and then Romans. Okay? I'm very conscious of the fact that there's some children in here and there's other Christians who have just begun on the Christian pathway who have never even read the Scriptures before and even some people who can't read. So, as the Apostle Paul says, condescend to men of low estate. The least person in here should be able to get something from what I say tonight. So, if we turn to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful that even with the smallest, the, the person who has come to Christ is as much all the riches in Christ apply to you as much as they do even to the Apostle Paul, as it says in Scripture. From the least to the greatest, I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins and transgressions. I will remember no more. So all the riches, if you have truly come to Christ, all the riches of Christ apply to you as much as they do to the Apostle John, to the Apostle Peter, all. And Christ doesn't have some children here and some down at the back of the room who have been naughty. All his children are gathered around them. He loves them all equally and he gives himself for them all. It's wonderful that. So the Apostle Paul, but nevertheless, he would want you to grow. He doesn't want you always to remain a child. You begin with milk. But he wants you to grow. He wants you to increase. He wants you to come into the full knowledge of what Christ has done. Because when you come into the full knowledge of what Christ has done, you're brought into a deeper joy. And you experience more of his love. And there's more of an awareness of that, that union and that joining with his life, with your life. So he wants you to understand that. So the Apostle Paul would begin... But he would want you to grow and to increase in this knowledge and to apply yourself, to apply this mind that God has given you, to be thinking about these things continually. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, consider what I say. When you're reading Paul's words, consider it, think over it, meditate on it. Get a wee verse perhaps each day and just think of that wee verse, that wee book you have, Paddy. You can read that every day. You know, and just ask God to show you. Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give you an understanding in all things. So that David, you could say, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I keep thy precepts. David could say that. I have more understanding than the ancients. We've got more understanding than Einstein because we understand the truth of creation. We understand how it all began. We understand how it's all going to end. We understand the truth of Christ. We've been made wise unto salvation, even though naturally many of us might feel like we're, we're, we're foolish. But nevertheless, we've been made wise in the knowledge of Christ. And this is true wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, which the princes of this world, they thought they had, but they, if they hadn't known the true wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But we now know who the Lord of glory is. And this is what the Apostle Paul would have us to know in his teachings. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then after Jesus died and rose from the dead, 
He ascended from heaven, and in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, he sent down his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit filled all the early Christians, and particularly the Apostles, and they went everywhere teaching the gospel of Jesus, but it was Jesus doing it through them by his Spirit. Okay? So, then, at the end, we, we come the, 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 through the book of Acts, there's two men, two principal men that God uses in the book of Acts. We have Peter, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Peter, he was particularly speaking to the Jewish people, but the Apostle Paul was the Apostle of the Gentiles. The Gentiles means the nations, the heathens who weren't, who weren't, um, Jews. That applies to us. Okay. So he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. So then the book of Acts then from, from about, from about uh, two, th- the first third to the last two thirds, it's the Apostle Paul's ministry. And it ends up where Paul is taken prisoner and he's brought to Rome and he gathers all the Jews. All the Jews had heard about this man, Paul, who had turned the whole world upside down. Because that's what the gospel does. It turns the world upside down. Because it shows mankind what this world truly is. Man's lost and hopeless condition. But it also tells of the king who commands obedience in the gospel for salvation. So the apostle Paul, he was put in prison for preaching Christ by his own people. It was his own Jewish people who had persecuted him and who had delivered him to the authorities to be put into the prison. So the book of Acts concludes with Paul in prison, and he is he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier. For six, every six hours, they, 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 they swapped guards. So he was, he was in a cell. He was in a wee prison cell with a soldier chained to him. And that was his existence. But he writes, he writes from there, he writes the prison epistles, and he's telling the Christians, be content with what you have. This is a man in a prison cell who's chained to another man and the, the indignity of it and the, um, the shame of it. But he knew he was the richest man on the earth. He knew he had an eternal destiny through Christ. Therefore, he was prepared to suffer temporarily and he counted a joy to suffer for Christ's sake. So at the very end of that book, at the end of the, the end of the, the Acts of the Apostles, Paul's in prison and he gathers the Jews round. He calls for them to come into his house. He was in a hired house. And it says in the, at the end, just so if you turn back just the page where you're at Romans chapter 1. So if you just turn back one page, one page, and it says, verse 23, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. So that's out of the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Paul was speaking from these scriptures and out of all the prophets, and he was persuading them concerning Jesus. He was showing them, look, it says in Isaiah that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Again, it says in Leviticus about the sacrifices, about the priest, and all the various applications to Christ. And he was expounding from day and night the Apostle Paul, teaching all these people from the Scriptures, proving from their very own book that Jesus was the Christ. And the Scriptures say, And some believed, 
and some believe not. I remember thinking one time, I would love to have been there to hear the Apostle Paul from day to evening, speaking, expounding the Scriptures. But if you turn over the page into Romans, we have the content of Paul's ministry. We have that, and it's immortalized. We have it written down for us. Now, if I was to give you 10 million gold bullion bars and put them in your hand, you couldn't put them in your hands, you'd put them in this, this bar. 10 million gold bullion bars. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything remotely like the worth of the possession, of possessing the, the letter of Paul that he wrote to the Romans. Is that how you value the word of God? This is of, this is of, of immeasurable worth. Paul's letter to the, to, to the, to the Romans. As, as the, the psalmist speaks, he says, he counted God's word of more than all the silver and gold in this world. Is that how we treasure the word of God? We should want to treasure the word of God like that. We should ask the Lord, please, Lord, make me treasure your word. Make me, make me, make me treasure it more than all the riches of this world. So, Paul writes this letter, and it begins, Paul. Now, this is the most Paul, apart from the Lord Jesus, who accomplished for us salvation. There's no man in history who has affected humanity in a more, in a more, in a way of, of application of salvation to men's souls than the apostle Paul. This man has changed the whole, this man was, was chosen before, before the world began. And he was ordained of God to be a prophet to the nations. And this man, through this man, millions of souls have been saved. Millions of souls. Our souls have been saved because of the Apostle Paul. Through his, what, 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 what the Lord Jesus communicated unto him. So, Paul wrote a new letter of Paul's is more important for the understanding of salvation than the letter to the Romans. If there's ever any book in scripture that your mind should be soaked in as much as you possibly can, the book of Romans, to truly understand the depth and the height and the breadth and the width of God's salvation in Christ Jesus, that's the book of Romans. And Paul wrote this book just about a while before he went up to Jerusalem. And he was in Corinth and he wrote this book. And he, he told them that he had tried to get he had tried to get to Rome before. He said, for I purpose, what he says in chapter 1. And he says, um, verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant brothers, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but I was let hitherto. Let means prevented. So he'd been hindered. He'd been prevented from coming there. Who prevented him? Who do you think prevented him? Yes. So he was prevented, as he says, in another place. He says, um, to the Thessalonians that he tried to get back to the Thessalonians, but Satan hindered us because there was a Jews lying in wait to kill him. So, it's not wonderful. Satan, if it hadn't been for Satan's hindering, we wouldn't have had the book of Romans. That's how God overturns the evil and the wicked schemes and the plots of the enemy for the good of the souls of his people. We wouldn't have this book, but for the fact that Satan had hindered the apostle Paul. So he had to write it to them because he couldn't get there. So Paul in this book, this book is, oh, the expanse of this book to really take it all in. This is, this is, this is showing, this is showing, I just want to give you a basic structure of the book of Romans. So the first 17, the first 
The first part of me, the first 17 verses are introductory. From verse 16, Paul says, for, uh, for, sorry, verse 15. So he says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, you which are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. That man, that man had, had such a determination to preach this gospel because he knew that is the only thing that can save men's souls from what's after death. So he spoke these words, he spoke these words with such gravity and with such an awareness that this was the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, 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 the gospel, the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It was the foolishness of preaching by which men were saved when the gospel was preached with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Those that believed were saved. But Paul then begins to show there has to be the foundation of the gospel. The gospel has to show man in his true light. Why do we need the gospel? We need the gospel because we're lost. We need the gospel because we're condemned. That's man's condition. Men don't like to hear that. The scripture says, every man will declare each one his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. So the apostle Paul reasons from the scriptures 60 times out of the 60 times in this letter, he quotes from the Old Testament. So he uses the scripture, the sword of the spirit, and he reasons to show men their accountability, first of all, and their guiltworthiness. And the fact that all flesh, whether it be Jew or whether it be Gentile, they're all under sin, they're slaves to sin, they're under condemnation, and they're under the just wrath of God. As he says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed, the wrath of God. We don't like to, we don't like to speak of that word nowadays, the wrath of God. Men like to speak of the love of God. Yes, it's true, but the love of God is because of his wrath. He sent the Son. But it's the wrath of God against mankind. Now, God's not angry. God's not, God's not a God that, 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 that just explodes like sometimes we have with our bad tempers. God's not like that. God is the most, the most calm, the most reposeful, the most gentle being. God, when God chooses wrath, it's because he's been provoked. That's why God shows wrath. He's been provoked. It says, Paul says to the fathers in Ephesians, he says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to get them angry, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So when God shows, when God's wrath is going to be revealed, it's because he's been provoked. How can he not be provoked? He's made this wonderful creation. He's made these creatures. We've all got the ability. We've all got the capacity. We've all been designed so that God himself can dwell within us. These Above all creation, above all the animals, above all intelligent life, man has been placed at the pinnacle. So he has a creation, and he's these creatures whom he placed to have dominion over his creation, who were supposed to be the ones who were ruling on his behalf, the whole of that race of humanity rebelling against their creator. How can he not react? He has to react. In his nature, he has to react. We would react. We would have done it long ago. We would have, we would have, we would have, we would have burned it up long ago. But God is long suffering. He's patient and he waits. 
He waits to be gracious. Nevertheless, his wrath is certain and his wrath is sure and his wrath is going to come in the last day. But this is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. But Paul goes on to show man's accountability. And then he says, verse, verse 18, verse 19, this is why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now it's revealed because I didn't know in my ignorance when I lived in California as 20 years old, I didn't know God's anger was against me. But God in his mercy revealed it to me. He didn't have to reveal it to me. He didn't have to reveal it to you. He could have let the whole race perish and it would have been just. Justice would have been, God's honor, God's glory would have been completely vindicated and celebrated if the human race had of all perished. All the angels sinned, pardon me, the, all, all the angels that sinned or were lost, were cast down, it says, into chains of hell. As soon as they sinned, they were, but there's no, there's no, they have no redemption. There's nothing for their salvation. But justly, we don't, we don't think, well, why didn't he provide a, we think, well, we can, we can see the justice in it. But when it comes to mankind, we think, well, but, but why doesn't he, why doesn't he do, why did he do that? Why does he let people go? It's just, it's justice. We've offended Almighty God. And things that we don't even know, because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And then Paul lists all man, the things that men are accountable for. All men, you and I, every soul of man. He begins particularly with the Gentiles. He says, well, as revealed from heaven, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Ungodliness means practically you're living as if God doesn't exist. You do not acknowledge him in all your ways. You're living on this planet as if there's no supreme, intelligent, invisible, powerful, infinitely powerful being up there. You pay more attention to your dog than you do to your creator. You pay more attention to your mobile phone than you do to the sovereign being that made heaven and earth. That's ungodly. You're to live, we were to create it to live with an awareness of even though he was invisible, that we were to seek him and to, to understand him and to worship and to serve him and to love him and to be grateful. We were created for his pleasure. Now, that's man's mind, our minds, we, because of our, our innate, our selfishness, we think we were created for his pleasure. Well, that sounds a bit selfish. That's because of our perverse understanding. No, it's like at Christmas time when your mommy and daddy give you presents. And they were watching you as you were opening your presents and that they were really delighted to see your happiness. You know, so they'd give them pleasure to see your pleasure. But they weren't doing it for their pleasure, but it gave them pleasure to see your pleasure. In the same way, we were created for his pleasure. So we're serving him gives us pleasure. At the Garden of Eden, the word Eden means pleasure. God gave all this freely. So we're serving him as we now know. In salvation, because we have a joy and a peace and a happiness and a contentment and a fulfillment that this world knows nothing of. And we realize that's what we were designed for. That's what we were made for. So God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This is particularly talking about the Jewish and not just the Jewish people, those who would be now Christians who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they know the Bible, but their hearts are changed. So they hold the truth, but it's in unrighteousness. Yeah, it says in your heart, you, you work wickedness. It's in the heart. So Paul's going to expose the heart of mankind because, so what Paul does, the book of Romans from chapter one, verse 18, up until, up until chapter three and verse 
20. So from chapter 1, 18. Did you write that down, Larry? Chapter 1, 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. That's Paul is. This is, how can you say it? This is the moral counterpart. This is in the great, of the great, the moral counterpart of the great white throne. In other words, in the last day, in the day of judgment, there won't be any other standard of judgment. There won't be any other criteria by which men are going to be judged than what's put, what Paul shows in this book. Paul's showing you, us now, God in his mercy is showing us what the standard of judgment will be. And all the things that will be brought to light, there'll be nothing God's going to say, well, why didn't you do that? Why did that there? Because it's all there. So we can look at this. We can look at these verses as in a mirror and see our own, see how, how have we come short of the glory of God. Because Paul's purpose in all this is to, sh- is to show men their guiltiness. There has to be an awareness of guilt before you truly appreciate or even understand the death of Christ. There has to be an awareness of guilt and Paul would have every mouth to be stopped. And even the most outwardly religious man, Paul would show, thou that teachest another, do you not teach yourself? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that sayest a man should not steal, do you do this? And he shows them the law goes deeper into the heart, into the intents of men. That's why it says that God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ in the last day, according to Paul's gospel. The secrets of men, that doesn't mean the secrets that we hide from one another. That's the secrets that your own heart hides from yourself because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I remember when I was first awakened and and and, and seeing the things that were within me because I didn't really, th- I thought, even though I was doing a lot of bad things, and underneath I thought, well, I don't really think I'm that bad a person even though I knew I was doing bad things. But the more the light shone into my heart, the more it showed me just how evil, how selfish, how rotten I really was. I didn't know at the time, and I'm sure many of us perhaps are going through that at the present time. If you're experiencing that at the present time, don't despair. That's God's mercy in showing you that. To, in, order for, in, in order for you to truly appreciate the sacrifice and the substitute of Christ on your behalf. So Paul, Paul shows men their guiltworthiness. He showed particularly to the Gentiles. So the Gentile nations, people would say, well, what about the people in the Amazon jungle? What about, you know, he shows, first of all, from creation. There's enough from creation. Without the gospel, there's enough in creation for men to be brought in guilty. He says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. So there's things you can know about God in your inner, in your inner consciousness, like those first truths you say when you're a wee child, you sort of, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who is God? Where is God? What is God? All these questions. These are like truths that are instinctively, it, it, we're born with these. So we've got our, we've got a light in our, in, in our, in our inner consciousness. And again, all the faculties and all the, the sort of the wonder of your memory and all these incredible functions that we have. That's a witness that there's a God. There is an almighty creator. And again, from the creation, from the, the from the colors, from the textures, from the smells, from the sounds, from the wonder of creation that's all around us, from our own bodies, 
from the, 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 everything in this, this, this the, the, the planets, the stars, the mountains, the water, everything. That's all shown. Every, every single human being, as the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, from the sun going down to the sun, go, sun going up to the sun going down. Day unto day showeth knowledge. Night unto night utters speech. It's speaking. The creation is speaking continually to every man. So every man knows there is a God. He may say, well, I don't believe there's a God. But he knows there's a God. There's a wee tiny candle within. And he's, <laughs> he's trying to blow it out, but he can't blow it out. The witness is there. Amen. So all men, all men, Paul brings all men to the point where he shows, he shows and he quotes from the scripture and then he goes to the Jews as well. So he's showing the Gentiles and how they defied their bodies amongst themselves and they done the most horrible things and the religious would go, oh, those dirty sinners. But then he goes on, but you too. And he shows your heart's no different. You may not do it outwardly, but you're desiring to do it inwardly if you could get away with it. So that's like I said, it's like the prodigal son. He, uh, he comes back and the bro older brother says, huh, this your son, he spent all his money living and, and with harlots. How did he know? How did he know what he done with the money? <laughs> because if he had it in there, that's part of what he would have done. So his heart was exactly the same. So the, the God looks upon the heart. So Paul would show that it's all men. And then he says, for example, in chapter... Um, I'll, I'll, They've been saying here that he might go on for four hours, make go on for six hours. Obviously, I can't. I have to just try and keep this as, you know, keep this as, I wouldn't be saying that lightly, but just there's so much here to bring out from the scriptures. But nevertheless, just some of the verses where Paul's showing that man's condition, man's in a lost and a hopeless condition. He's trapped, he's condemned, he's completely self-condemned, and in his own conscience, when he's brought to the light of God's word, he cannot but recognize that he is worthy of death. That's what the scripture says, things that are, you're worthy of death. If you look at that list where Paul says about the hearts of men, he says, um, Likewise, God gave them up unto vile affections, verse chapter 1, verse 26. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, get out of my mind. I don't want to think about you. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want to think about God. And even as they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. You want it. You have it. God gave them over. You done it first. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a worthless mind, an empty mind, a mind. If we could open up our minds, when I remember my mind before it was converted, the vanity, the filth, the, 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 the foolishness, the, the, the fantasies, the imagination, madness. As the scripture says, the heart of the sons of men is full of madness. And evil is in all their ways, or full of evil and madness is in their ways. And after that, they go to the grave. So, being filled with all unrighteousness and, and, and fornication, to be filled with something, it doesn't have to come out, it stays within. So you can be filled with all this without it appearing, coming out, out. It's in your heart. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, 
disobedient to parents, without understanding. Covenant breakers can't be no can't keep their word without natural affection, no care for people suffering, implacable, hard, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they would do such things are worthy of death. You're worthy of death. If you can see that list, you maybe haven't done all those things, but I'm sure you can see some things you've done. Worthy of death, backbiting. That was when I, the, the night changed my whole life. One, one night that changed my whole life was in California. And one of my best friends, we were all illegal at the time. And he, um, he was really annoying me over something, something trivial. But he went out of the room. It was a stranger's house. And he went out of the room. And I thought he'd went out of the house. And after he went out, and I was with the other friends, and I started talking about him and talking about his mother and talking about his father and saying the, 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 the nastiest things, and I just, I'm ashamed of the things come out of my mouth. But I, I was doing that for about half an hour, just backbiting, really rotten. And he walked in and he looked at me and he says, Paul, I heard all that. And it was like, it was like the first time in my life a mirror was held up to me. It's just, that's the real you. It was, oh, I couldn't sleep with a sense because I was always very tricky and cutting when I was young and I was never ever caught really doing anything. But that night I was caught red-handed. And I couldn't sleep. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night in a stranger's house and just going over to the bookshelf and picking out a book, The Life and Teachings of Jesus Christ. So that's why I'm here tonight, speaking of Jesus Christ, my Savior. So that backbite and all these sins that men commit that we don't really think that much of. Worthy of death. It then goes on to speak of the Jews, chapter 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, man, whosoever thou judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, you're condemning yourself. Oh, look at those nasty people over there. Oh, look at those thieves. Oh, look at those drunkards. You're condemning yourself because your heart's full of the same thing. Maybe not in the same outward way, but there's other things you do. So that's, that's why it says in the scripture, he shall have judgment without mercy, who showed no mercy. So, he shuts up then the, the mouth of all men. He goes on to the, the Jews and shows that there again, that their hardness, their impenitent heart, chapter 2, verse 5. And then he speaks of, uh, and unto, again, verse 5, that your heart is treasuring up unto yourself. You see, you're treasuring. So all these sins that you're committing, it's like you're building up a treasure. You're building up your reward. You're going to get rewarded for it. You're going to get rewarded for every single precise sin you've ever committed, unless... They've been, unless your soul has been cleansed and your sins have been washed away. But you're treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, that great day, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and good works doing well, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. Now that's what the gospel, if you truly believe the gospel, that the result of that is you patiently continue in doing good because you're looking for the reward of eternal life, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, God will reward tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man. That tribulation and anguish to think of the, the awfulness when they take that final breath. And as the scriptures say, Psalm 73, they're utterly consumed with terrors. And they'll feel themselves to be the most evil beasts. You'll be just, because your heart will be discovered to you. You didn't even know what you were like, but you'll be discovered to yourself. And even, you'll know it yourself, but you'll hate what you're discovering and you'll feel how evil you really are. And the awfulness of that trouble, tribulation and anguish about every soul of man. Now, this would seem to be a fearful, gloomy epistle. 
But this has to be, men have to see this first before they are shown the remedy. Because there's no Jesus says, they that are healthy don't need the physician, but they that are sick, and we are sick. And we have to realize, we have to have that sickness exposed. And, may, and you have to like show that to people. The false prophets, they smooth, they say, they say, peace, peace. And they heal the daughter of the wound of my people lightly. They go, oh, it's not that bad. You're not really all that bad. God knows underneath that you're really a good person. No, you're not. That's lies. That's falsehood. So a true, the, the truth has to show men their true condition for, in order for them to, to be brought to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul the Apostle, he's reasoning of righteousness and temperance and of judgment to come. That's what he's reasoning of. So he, say, he goes on and he, he, he speaks through this chapter then concerning the Jews. And then chapter 3, for example, he says, what advantage then has the Jew? So the Jews saying, well, what advantage? Why am I different then from these Gentiles? We've got the scriptures. So you're telling me I'm no different. No, you're no different. The advantage you had was that you had the word of God. You had more knowledge. But that didn't make your heart any different. You couldn't look down on anybody. And that could be applied to Christians as well as just to the Jews, modern-day Christians. What advantage then has the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? And he goes on to, to show and to expose that he, all the religious, that their hearts weren't any different. It comes up to chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. And then he says, sorry, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, he saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. You can't say a word. You're stopped. Stunned. I'm guilty. That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Guilty humanity. Now, this next verse is the biggest, perhaps the biggest hinge in the whole of the Word of God. A hinge is something in which something turns. Because that's fearful and that's gloomy and that's awful and that's man in his true condition. That's man shut up to a holy God and to the justice that he knows he's deserved in his own conscience. But, 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 I can't emphasize that enough. B-U-T, and if you're underlining in your Bible, put five strokes underneath the but and put 20 red stars around it. This is the biggest but and the word of God, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So God now in the gospel, the righteousness that you didn't have, but now through Jesus Christ, he gives you it freely. So for all those who acknowledge and are aware and are self-condemned and know they're guilty, to them the gospel's preached. And they're not even, they're not even said you have to receive it because they will receive it because they know they're guilty and they're told it's a free deliverance, free salvation, a free justification. Now, you'll hear people say justification. Well, that's a, that's a forensic word and it means our legal standing before. Listen, explain it's like a man in a prison, it's like a man in a prison cell and he knows he's condemned. He's in a death row and his lawyer, his barrister comes back to him. And the sentence, he knows he's guilty, and he's expecting the, to hear the sentence guilty. And the, the, his lawyer comes back, very cool and collected, and he's explaining to him how the court case went. And then this was presented, and all your crimes were presented before the judge, and the man's waiting on the word to hear. And then he says, and the judge said, you know that you have been, um, you know, you've been justified. And the man's going, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? He says, it means you're freed. Free! Freed! Free! I'm free from guilt. 
I'm free. I'm delivered. All the guilt's been removed. I'm justified. I'm acquitted. Not guilty. Not guilty. All guilt's been removed. Oh, oh, the relief to know that all my sins have been taken away. And then he says, how did it happen? How, how, how could he do it? Because the judge, his own son, he put him in the box. And he was, so he, 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 all your accusations were leveled against him. And his own son took the guilt for what you don't. Oh, who is he? Jesus Christ. Oh, the son of God. The son of God has taken. That's what Paul then brings in from chapter three, verse 21 to chapter five, verse 21. That's, that's, so verse 20 is the hinge, or verse 21, but, and then Paul explains how. So we ask, how has it happened? And Paul explains how God has done this. How God has made it. How, because Job asked the question, the ancient question, how shall a man be just with God? How is, how is it possible that all that I've done, all that I am, how can God not judge me? Because in the most wondrous Beyond man, beyond any created intelligence to, 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 to plan or to even think remotely think of, God had devised a way by which his own son should take manhood and unite his divinity to his manhood to give his manhood an incalculable worth so that when he hung on the cross like a magnet with all the iron filings, all our sins were put upon him so that he became responsible for all those sins and he was punished and it went dark for three hours and eternity was compressed into three hours. So all the shame, all the anguish, all the pain that we would have experienced throughout eternity, Jesus Christ felt upon the cross. He suffered, it says he suffered, that he bare our sins in his own body on the cross. Christ suffered for sins. Oh, how wondrous, how unspeakably wondrous, how beyond tongue to tell, how that's the glad tidings of the gospel. That's the truth that Paul brings out and would show them and want them to understand it and want them to truly be established in it and to grow in it and to grow in the knowledge of the salvation of Christ that God has purposed from before the world began. So this, this is the, this is the righteousness. This is justified. So when you say you're justified, you're justified. It's not only that you've been acquitted. It's not only that the guilt has been removed. It's not only that all your sins have been taken away. That's your, your, that, yes, but something's been added to you. It's like going into your bank account and seeing somebody has put in a trillion, trillion pounds into your bank account. And that's nothing compared to the righteousness of God has given to you. So there's a substitution so he was made sin for us on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. So now in the sight of God, I have a divine righteousness. And with that, with that comes all that in, that's entitled. With that, as it says, because the Spirit is life, because of righteousness. So the Spirit of God is given to me. And with that also it says that we, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, which is righteousness, the gift of righteousness, we've been justified, is eternal life. So I'm going to live forever with a new body. There'll be no sin, no decay, no suffering, no pain, and a new creation, a new glorious, wondrous creation, a child of God, a child of God, forgiven, justified. And we're waiting for a redemption of our bodies. We've got a bright hope in front of us. Whereas before we were shut up in a prison house thinking we were never, ever, ever going to get out like Pilgrim's Progress, the man in the iron cage, which thrown away the key, the chains of despair. But the, the cage has been opened. We've been set free. Oh, 
the relief, the release, the joy, the peace, the love. As it says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the glad tidings of great joy that needs to be proclaimed to all men. They have to hear of the truth of their true condition, and they also have to hear of the wonders of God's grace and how God, how God has saved those guilty rebels and how he's made them, not just to be cleared of their sins, but to be now the children of the living God, joint heirs with Christ. They're going to inherit what Christ inherits. When God sees Christ, he doesn't see only him. He sees all those who are in him. We're accepted in the beloved. And that's so, That's just so wonderful. So Paul, so this book of Romans, really, it's a book to be studied. It's a book to be pondered. It's a book to be meditated upon. And ask the Lord to teach you this book more and more in, a, in, an, ex, in, in an experiential and experimental. That means in a way where you know, you really feel the, that you're getting the good of it. So Paul, memorize some portions of it, really get into Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. He was separated, like that's all he lived for, the gospel of God. So you're not just separated from this world, you're separated unto the gospel, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power. By the spirit, by the spirit of holiness, by the, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, among whom ye also, ye also are the called of Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and how they hear that they believe this gospel. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, all beloved of God. So not everybody in Rome is the beloved of God. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, call to be saints, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I think I missed a phrase there, which it was, it says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It's for his name, it's for his glory, no honor to our names, but for the name of Jesus Christ to be made known and proclaimed that there's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. Praise and glory and honor be unto his blessed, precious, wonderful, worthy name forever and ever. Amen.